Welcome to another special edition of the Business with Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of Still Being Molly. And this is a special, special, special edition of the podcast because I actually wanted to share the audio of the talk that I gave, but share the audio in its entirety. So I gave a keynote talk at the Fair Trade Federation Conference in Austin, Texas. And because so many of you wanted to hear the talk, I thought it would be easiest, honestly, to just share the audio in its entirety for you to hear it. Now, obviously, I did have some slides and some pictures that went along with my talk, so you won't get a full visual of the things that I shared, but I just hope that you enjoy this, and I hope that you are encouraged. Um, Again, my talk really was just to challenge and empower these fair trade warriors to keep going and to begin to think of their businesses a little bit differently in this next season. So I hope you enjoy it and thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed it, please share it on social media um, and tag me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast. Hi, good morning. So I have a crazy dream. Now this is the 25th anniversary of the Fair Trade Federation and my crazy dream, I'm going to call this my magic wand moment, so I want you to all say wow, okay? So I'm (laughs) I'm yes-anding Liz. Okay, so my crazy dream is that in the next 25 years, the term fair trade actually ceases to exist. Wow. See, you're all contractually obligated. So I grew up, look at me, wasn't I adorable? Uh, So I grew up in a little town called Herndon, Virginia. It's right outside of Washington. Oh, we got a Herndon person up in here? Yeah! Woo! The HND! Okay. Uh, It's right outside of Washington, D.C., and it's not a small town now, but it was when I was growing up. Now, when I was about eight and a half years old, I was the big kid in the neighborhood, all right? And I took it upon myself to watch out for the other little kids in the neighborhood when we played in the street because our neighborhood actually didn't even have any sidewalks. Now, after one particularly heart attack-inducing afternoon where a friend of mine was almost hit by a car, I ran inside and I looked in my parents' eyes and I said, we need sidewalks to keep the kids safe. How do we get sidewalks? And my parents were like, well, you would go to the town council and you would tell them that we need sidewalks. So I was like, okay. So I did what any other normal eight-year-old would do and I went to look at the town of Herndon calendar that was hanging in our foyer and I saw that there was a town council meeting that night at seven o'clock. And so I was like, huzzah! And so I walked upstairs and I got on my Macintosh Classic 2. Who remembers those? Yeah. And I typed up a speech. This is an actual copy of my sidewalk speech. It is, it is gold, guys. Like actual gold writing <laughs> and just gold content. Um, And I then proceeded to put on a velvet green dress that matched my Samantha American Girl doll. Yes, okay, all right, we're tracking here, okay? And I proceeded to march downstairs and I informed my parents that they were going to be driving me to the town council meeting that night. So we go, they were like, okay, who is this child? So they take me to the town council meeting and as soon as they called for any new citizen business, I marched on up to that micro or that podium. I brought that rickety Bob Barker microphone, you know what I'm talking about? And it was like, Arr! I brought it down and I delivered this speech. 
And the town council thought I was adorable, and they patronized me, and they told me they'd look into it. Now, I actually went to look for a copy of a picture of me in that dress, but I found the cover of the Herndon Times. Youngster, look at me, Youngster lobbies town for sidewalks. And here's a cool thing, guys. I, when I was looking for that picture, I found this article. The date is March 16th, 1994. That is exactly 25 years ago. Look at that, it's the 25th, 25th anniversary. Um, isn't that cool? Uh, I wanna call attention to a little part of this, though. This is the end of the article. Tom Buckley, that's my dad. Tom Buckley said he was not surprised by his daughter's decision to go before the council. When Molly was born, he said, we knew she would either be president or in jail. <laughs> That's my father, everyone. Uh, also, look at the top. I was so nervous, she said after the meeting, now I need my parents to take me to Friendly's to get me a peanut sundae to calm my nerves. <laughs> oh man, I was awesome at eight. Uh, so anyway, <laughs> three months later after that meeting, we still had no sidewalks. So I went back to the town council and I gave another speech. And then three months later, we still had no sidewalks. So guess what I started to do? I wrote letters on my Macintosh Classic 2. And then three months later, we still had no sidewalks and they kept telling me they'd look into it. So I started to make phone calls on the very long cordless rotary or cord rotary phone. Uh, and then, three months later, still no sidewalks. So guess what I did? I started a petition. Went around to all my neighbors, got all the signatures, turned it in, still no sidewalks. And then, two and a half years after speeches, letters, petitions, phone calls, two and a half years after that first appearance before the Herndon Town Council, I got a knock at the door, and it was a surveyor and an engineer and a town council member asking for Molly Buckley to show them where to put the sidewalks. <laughs> and so that summer, we got sidewalks in my neighborhood. Yeah. The mayor was none too pleased with me by that point and was like, we're just gonna do whatever we can to shut her up. Um, and you can bet that I carved my name into the cement. Okay, okay, real quick funny side note. So that mayor ended up going on to become the state representative in Virginia, like he went on to like the state level cong or, yeah, Congress. And when I was in college, I had joined a lobbying group that would lobby for higher education. We went on a lobbying trip to Richmond and guess who I was assigned to? Tom Rust, and I walked into that office and he was like, you have to be kidding me. <laughs> So pretty much any issue that came up, I would write Tom Rust and be like, you know who you're dealing with. <laughs> so now here's the thing. If you did not gather it from that story, when there is an issue that I care about, I do not give up until I see it fixed. For all you Enneagrams, where's my Enneagram people? All right. I'm a two with a three wing. So if anybody knows what that is, where are my twos? There's a lot of twos. Wow, I'm actually really surprised there's not as many twos in the fair trade. So what that means is I'm a helper and an achiever. So I want to, I see a problem and I want to fix it and I'm not going to stop until it's done. So you can imagine that in 2011 when I went on my first trip to Kenya and I got to tour the Kazuri bead factory. If anybody knows Kazuri in downtown Nairobi, they're what an incredible, incredible company. I got to see firsthand the impact that fair trade could have on a person's life and on a community. And I was all in. 
I came home from that trip and I started to learn as much as I could about fair trade and ethical fashion. I just dove head in because this was the issue I now cared about. Now honestly, up until that point, full transparency, I had only thought of fair trade as, you can probably guess it, coffee, tea, and chocolate. That's all I knew. But I started to learn about the harmful impacts of the fast fashion industry. And I started to learn about the unsafe working conditions that men, women, and children were sitting in every single day. And then the Rana Plaza complex disaster happened. And I was all in. I just wanted to do my part to make sure people were safe. So just like the little kid who wanted sidewalks in her neighborhood, and I was not going to stop until I got them, I still write letters, <laughs> I still make phone calls, and I still sign petitions. It's just not about sidewalks anymore. In fact, there's actually a fashion brand that I used to love, and I have been emailing and writing and calling and posting on social media, asking them about their manufacturing practices, asking them who made my clothes for two and a half years, and they have yet to answer me. They clearly have no idea who they're dealing with. <laughs> now look, um, the people in this room are doing incredible work. You are actually literally changing lives with the work you're doing. And you're, the work you're doing is working to make this industry, the industry of business, fair trade values become normal and business as usual. More and more businesses, both big and small, are joining the ethical and fair trade, business, or fair trade industry quickly because of consumer demand and because of the foundation that you all are laying. The rate of change in the industry of business is tremendous right now. But for some of you, that's actually a problem. Because here's what I believe, is that one day, and I don't think it's too far off, cause marketing is gonna seem shallow. Because consumers are gonna say, well, that's how everyone does it, right? So what you are doing is no longer all that unusual. And here's just a few examples of what I'm talking about, okay? How do I turn this? Here we go. Madewell and J. Crew, the fast fashion brands, recently launched Fairtrade certified denim lines, and they're just starting there. Athleta, who is owned by Gap, is now a certified B corporation. Nike, Nike, the sweatshops of the 90s Nike, now has an entire department dedicated to sustainability and ethical practices. IJM, International Justice Mission, has partnered up with Target to eliminate labor trafficking in their supply chains. Meghan Markle and Emma Watson, two of the world's most famous celebrities, have become walking billboards for ethical and fair trade fashion, selling out of items in hours. And this, all of this, has happened in like the last six months. Like, that's incredible. So if the industry of business as a whole is changing quickly, if more and more businesses are wising up and realizing that they have to change their practices and that they want to do the work to ensure that the people from the fields to the factories to the sales floor are safe and paid fairly, that means things are changing for you. Because that now means that that are fair trade are in the same conversation with brands like this. Now, for many of you, you actually recognize this is a huge opportunity to advance the ideals that you care about. But for some of you, 
and you might not even realize it right now, it means you could be screwed. And I say that with all love and respect for everything that you're doing, but I hope that this is something that inspires you to think about the next 25 years. So like I said in the beginning, I hope to see the term fair trade cease to exist in the next 25 years. And while some of this might even have made you feel a little bit uncomfortable, I'm kind of glad. Because I believe that fair trade values need to be the norm. Like this is what we're advocating for, is no more human trafficking, no more labor trafficking. We want our environment to be taken care of. We want these things to be the norm. So I hope it's pretty obvious that I love what you are doing. I am an advocate for you. So many of you were like, what brand are you with? What business are you with? And I'm like, I'm just an advocate for you. That's my job, is being an advocate for you as a blogger and a podcaster. I want to tell your stories to consumers so they can start realizing the power that they have. But I wanna see you stay in business in the next 25 years. So how do we ensure that? How do we ensure our businesses aren't obsolete, even if the term fair trade becomes? Okay, so now I have a unique perspective. Oh, okay. <laughs> so if that's the future that we're praying for, here's my unique perspective and here's why. Now I'm actually your customer, okay? I'm a fair trade consumer. I love fashion and beauty and I know where Syria is. So it's a, it's a callback to, to Liz's talk yesterday. I know where Syria is, but I love fashion and beauty. Like I love fair trade and ethical fashion. I am all in, I am here for it. But I'm also on the brand side of things. So for the past few years, I have been personally working with a ministry through my church called Street Hope. And we are quite literally rescuing women off of the streets of Thika, Kenya, who are in situations of survival prostitution and human trafficking, coming alongside them and giving them an opportunity at a job and this is something that has kind of just happened in the last few years. And so I've been working on it. And I see the struggles that you guys are facing because I see it with them. And sometimes these situations are like actually life and death. And I know that if we don't make sales, if we don't get donations coming in, they're not getting paid. So it's a real problem. So I get it. And then lastly, I've been a content creator for 12 years. I've worked in digital marketing, both online and in radio, for over a decade. I started my blog in 2007, and I started my podcast in 2016. I've worked with hundreds of brands in the past decade. And as a podcaster, I have interviewed over 140 different purpose-filled entrepreneurs, hearing their stories and sharing their stories. So I get it. I get it. I get that you are in the trenches. You're worried about your budgets. You're worried about your artisans. But given my unique perspective and our shared vision and passion, I just want to share my heart for the next few minutes a few ways in which you can begin to run your business on purpose. Because I know a lot of you kind of got into your businesses by accident. It, it, is, it happens. I've talked to so many fair trade businesses. We're like, I don't know. I just kind of started this business and it, here it happened. So I want you to be proactive in this next season to begin to set yourself up for success for the next 25 years. I want you to just change your perspective a little bit without losing the focus that I know that you have on serving your communities. So, number one, you guys tracking with me? All right, cool, awesome. I'm gonna take a sip of water. I've been doing a lot of talking. All right, number one, shifting your perspective on your messaging. Now, this is a big one, and I know some of you may disagree with me on this, but I want you to hear me out. 
As you enter this next season of business, I want you to begin to think of your messaging as your customer first. Your product is a byproduct of, that, of that, what that customer's needs is. And then lastly, your artisan's story fits into that. But for so long, the typical fair trade brand message has been it's all about the artisan story, the product is kind of a byproduct of that, and then the customer just kind of has to come along for the ride. But here's the thing. Our customers are the heroes of our story. Yes, artisans are heroes. Their stories deserve to be elevated and empowered, and they are amazing. However, when it comes to the marketing of our businesses, the customer is your hero always. You are the guide, your customer is your hero. So what I want you to begin to think about is shifting it to the customer story, the product is a byproduct of that, and then your artisan story fits into that. Now an amazing example of a brand that has shifted their messaging so well in the last six to 12 months is one of my absolute favorite shoe brands, The Root Collective. Here it is. Oh gosh. My boots. So many of you have been like, where are those boots from? I'm like, just you wait. Um, the Root Collective is an incredible ethical fashion brand that they manufacture shoes in Guatemala. Now it was started by a dear friend of mine, Bethany Tran, in 2013. And their business model is what she spent the first probably four years of being in business marketing. And the business model is talking about how they are employing men who are transitioning out of the gang life in the slums of La Limanada, Guatemala. And they have an incredible story, it is powerful, but their messaging has shifted a lot in the last six to 12 months to a message about the business model to now it's a message about the Root Collective, the most complimented shoes you'll own that leads to a conversation about how they're manufactured. Now, I actually asked Bethany about this because I noticed it, and maybe it's my marketing mind, but I noticed the shift in her messaging. And she shared with me that this was actually really scary for her to change her, her messaging. And it's a shift in the simple way that the message is delivered to the customer because now Bethany is speaking directly to her customer's needs. She sees that the customer is the hero of her, of her brand and her hero has a problem. And the problem is that her hero doesn't want to feel invisible. And so what is Bethany's solution? The solution is a pair of shoes that will get her hero noticed. And then it gives the hero an opportunity to talk about the way that the shoes are made and the impact that the shoes are having. So for all of you, it's about figuring out what is it that your customer needs? What is the problem that your hero, your customer is facing? And then crafting a message that meets the need of your customer and then gives them a personal and invested connection to your brand because of the way that it's made. And you can help your customer feel seen and heard all throughout this process. And then again, if you connect your customer's story to your artisan's story, you've hit a home run. All right, number two, shifting your perspective on your branding. So I want you to look at the overall brand that you are presenting. Are you creating an impression that when somebody goes to your website, they see your social media presence, whatever it is, their first impression of your brand, do they go, wow, wow. So here is an area where investing in your branding can really pay off. And I know some of you are working with bootstrapped budgets, 
but this is something I really want you to think about shifting. So like I mentioned earlier, as the industry of business is changing as a whole, and you're now in the same conversation with brands like J. Crew, Madewell, Athleta, Nike, Target, brands like that, ask yourself, what is my brand other than just fair trade? Do you have another leg to stand on? If the term fair trade were to cease to exist because it's business as usual, what is left for your brand? And in order to do that, I want you to actually ask yourself a question. What is the brand I want to be? What is the brand I want to be? And then to do that, I want you to actually look at the other brands that you love and figure out what is it that draws you in? Now, I'm not saying copy them or emulate what they're doing, but figure out what is it, is it their logo? Is it their photography? Is it their website? Is it their product? What is it about that brand that invites you in, that draws you in? And I want you to begin to think about how you can take those similar thoughts and ideas and apply them to your brand. And what are the things that you can do to draw people in? So just some basics, just some basics, okay? Does your website need a little bit of updating? Does it look like it was built on Dreamweaver in 1996? Okay, does it have rotating text? Are you using Comic Sans or Papyrus? Please tell me no. <laughs> Is it set up to speak to your customer? Are your logo and photography on point? Do they represent the brand that you want to be? So for this, I'm gonna give an example of a brand like Tribe Alive. Now, if you don't know Tribe Alive, I love Tribe Alive. And this brand is slinging it these days. Now, Tribe Alive is an eth amazing, amazing ethical fashion brand. And their overall branding is beautiful. Their website, their photography, their logo, their social media presence it is top notch. And the products, when you wear them, people ask you about them. Like, this top is from Tribe Alive. I already, like, three people will be like, where is that top from? And, like, it's Tribe Alive. Let me tell you about the artisan partners that they work with. Um, it's just such an incredible brand. So much so, guess what? J. Crew and Madewell reached out to Tribe Alive, and you can now shop Tribe Alive products through J. Crew and Madewell's website. That is huge for an ethical fashion brand like Tribe Alive. So, again, just like with the Root Collective, the Tribe Alive products and branding speak for itself. It's got a message that speaks directly to the customer, and then it leads to a conversation about the incredible artisan partners they're working with around the globe. All right, number three, shifting your perspective on your marketing strategy. So, are you using social media and your digital marketing strategy to create a community of brand evangelists, or are you using it as a megaphone to announce new products and sales? So over the past 12 years, I have seen so many businesses take the social out of social media and make it just media. Now here's the thing is we are in a belonging crisis in our country. There are more people who are anxious and depressed and lonely and isolated, and we have an innate human desire to feel like we belong. And this, coincidentally, is actually a great opportunity to help people feel like they belong. There are so many of you in this room that I have known only through the internet, and when we finally met in person, I was like, it's like we've been best friends forever. Like social media actually, when used right, can create incredible community. 
So how do you have more human connection through your digital marketing strategy? How can you create a sense of belonging? So a brand that does social media marketing really well and creating community of brand evangelists, and this is not a massive fashion brand, but they have just been killing it lately, and that is Elegantees. How many of you know Elegantees? Oh, I love, love, love this brand. So it was started by another friend of mine, Katie Martinez. And last year, they actually started just a simple Facebook group called the Elegantees Insiders. And inside this Facebook group, Katie uses it as an opportunity to share sneak peeks of upcoming designs. She gets feedback on fabrics. She gets feedback on fit, cut, style. She'll do exclusive sales, exclusive giveaways. It's just become a really cool community to be a part of. And then every Friday on her Instagram stories, Katie just does a simple thing called Founder Friday. And while she's walking from her apartment to the subway in New York City, she just gets on Instagram and she starts talking about a little bit behind the scenes of what's going on with Elegant Tees, particular issues that they might be having, whatever is going on, she is just kind of shares from her heart and it's created this really unique community of women who are brand evangelists, care about her brand, are raving fans of her brand, and then it gives them an opportunity to talk about the fact that Elegantees is hiring women who have been literally rescued at the border of Nepal and India out of human trafficking, giving them an opportunity at a job and a second life. What Elegantees is doing is incredible, but she doesn't lead with that message. It's a part of the entire story. Now I asked Katie about her strategy and she shared with me that when she actually started Elegantees eight years ago, she thought that she needed to compete in the marketplace on price. So she priced her products way too low. And so for the first five years she was in business, she had a net loss. Now her background, she actually went to FIT in New York City, so her background is in design in the New York Garment District. She has incredible talent and skill. So she's always known that it's about good design, good fit, good quality, color and fabrics. But she really thought that she needed to compete on price. And so what happened when she started to raise her prices is that she realized her customers were still going to buy the product because they loved it. And then the fact that it was ethically made was just icing on the cake. And what she knows is that giving the consumer what the consumer wants yields the best designs and the best results. And she's able to do this through things like her Facebook group, her Instagram stories, and creating a community online of women who just love this brand. And she does all these things to learn from them, not tell. Now, you have a huge advantage over the larger brands like Target and J. Crew and Madewell because you have a built-in audience of people who love you and are your brand evangelists. So you can tap into the voices of the customers so much better than them because you have a dedicated customer base. So start there. So once you've identified your community, the hero of your story, identifying what the, the hero of your story needs, what's the problem they're facing, how can you invite them into that story and market to them by speaking directly with them? So having said all of this, more water, sorry. I realize that so many of you are coming from different places. So whether you've been in business 70 years, all 25 years of the Fair Trade Federation, or you're a new fair trade business, or you just have an idea for a business, or you're somewhere in between, don't be afraid to change. 
Think of everything that I've shared with you as kind of just this map of opportunities for you. And it's all about finding what is the right fit for you and your brand. Figure out what's the one thing, the one thing that you can take away from this talk, this conference, what's the one thing you can do and actually implement or start to implement within the next 12 to 24 hours. Because research shows if you don't do it within the next 12 to 24 hours, you're probably not gonna do it. So I want you to just pick one thing. Little by little progress adds up. So think about what you can do to set your business up for success for the next 25 years. So if we are, as a whole, as a community of what I like to call fair trade warriors, if we are advocating for real, actual change in the industry of business, and yeah, we got a long way to go, but if we are celebrating the fact that change is happening fast, and we're hoping that other brands will follow suit, in what way are you creating a niche for yourself to make sure that you're still here in 25 years? All right, be honest with me. Who remembers OJ? Being chased in the Bronco. Oh, yeah, everybody remembers that. All right, what about Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding? Who remembers that? Yep, y'all remember that. What about this movie? Life is like a box of chocolates. He's not British. Why did I come out British? That was weird, sorry. All right, it's the next Forrest Gump 2. All right, <laughs> chocolates and tea. All right, I don't know. I don't know. I'm really sorry, guys. If you're British, I'm really sorry. Okay, I should just stop talking about that. Okay, what about this? I saw the sign and it opened up my eyes. It, no, okay, all right. Guys, all of that was 25 years ago. 1994. 1994, woo! The Fair Trade Federation, when it started in 1994, had 16 founding members. Today it has 250. Now in 2015, I started an ethical brand directory on my blog, and I started it because there was just no central place on the internet to be able to find brands that were ethical and that I wanted to be able to shop from. So I started this directory on my blog. It had about 35 to 40 businesses on it. This is 2015. Today, it has almost 500. Four years later. Now, 25 years ago, I had to beg my mayor and town council for sidewalks. Like, this is a basic safety feature of a neighborhood, our sidewalks. And I had to beg them. But today, again, sidewalks are just built there because that's what you do when you build a neighborhood, is you put in sidewalks. In your businesses, you are building sidewalks. And because you have led the way, you're forcing other people to build sidewalks. Now, there are a lot of sidewalks that still need to be built. But the more sidewalks there are, the more commonplace they seem, the less special your sidewalks will appear. My mom passed away when I was a senior in high school. And my dad continued to live in Herndon for a couple of years, but eventually moved away. And just a couple of years ago, sold the childhood home that I had grown up in my entire life. And so when he sold it, I drove up to Northern Virginia to help him kind of do the last of the clean out and say goodbye to that house that built me my entire life. 
And I was really thankful. I was able to take my kids with me. That's me, my dad, and my kids. And my daughter was three at the time. My son was just a couple of months old. And as we were getting ready to leave, I took my kids over to the part of the sidewalks where I had carved my name in the cement. And just as we were standing there, and I was telling them about the time that their mommy was a tiny childhood neighborhood activist, a group of kids whizzed by on the sidewalks on bikes. And down the way, there was about six or seven kids playing hopscotch. And I realized that in 1994, getting sidewalks in my neighborhood wasn't actually about me and my safety. It was about the safety of the other kids in the neighborhood and the safety of the, neighborhood, of the kids for generations to come. So I want us to do the same for the industry of business as a whole. So let's keep holding ourselves to a higher standard of business that speaks to and elevates the worth of not only your artisans, but also your customers. Thank you guys so much. Um, I would love, love, love to connect with you. Um, and so the easiest way to do that, um, you can subscribe to my podcast. You can go to stillbeingmolly.com slash tune dash in. It has all the ways to subscribe to it. Um, but I have right here text FTF to 555-888. Um, I promise not to spam you, but this was the easiest way I thought to do it, is if you are interested in joining, I have a Facebook group, a Facebook community, where we just talk about things like ethical fashion and fair trade. It's a group where people can say, hey, I want to know where to buy ethical lemon salt. Serve, I see you over there. Um, <laughs> uh, and it's also just a place where people can kind of connect and share ideas. Um, if you are interested in suggesting a guest for my podcast, you can do that here. Or if you are not listed on my ethical brand directory for some reason, again, it's just me doing it, so sometimes I miss people, you can, can submit your information to me. So you can do that just by texting that number, um, and I can get in touch with you. Thank you all so much for having me, and y'all are amazing. Thank you so much for listening to this special edition of the podcast with the exclusive audio from my talk at the Fair Trade Federation Conference. As always, thank you to my amazing husband, who is the biggest cheerleader and biggest support system that I have for editing my show and producing this show. Thank you to Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media for the music and Mark Haywood for all of the show notes and support. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose.